Welcome back to Digital Health Unplugged, the podcast in which we take a look at what is making headlines in the world of NHS IT. I'm your host, Andrea Downey, and I'm senior reporter here at Digital Health. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Digital Health Unplugged. It has been a very busy few weeks for NHS IT news, so bear with me while I take you through the main headlines. Last month, the government released its white paper for health and care, which aims to deliver a more joined up health service. It called for integrated care systems to be embedded in law and also includes some plans to reduce some of the red tape that's around procurement and data sharing. The main crux of this is to continue the momentum we've seen on digital transformation during the pandemic. There's a big drive to not let that fall back to pre-pandemic times. It also ties into the data strategy for health and care that NHSX is currently working on as part of Matt Hancock's bureaucracy-busting mission, and that was announced in November last year. And if that wasn't enough news for you to digest, there are proposed plans to merge NHSX into a transformation directorate with other national organisations as a way to kind of ensure digital transformation work isn't done in silos. Matthew Gould, NHSX's CEO, has said that it's a positive step and will put digital transformation at the heart of the NHS. So we will just have to see how that pans out. And if you've been paying attention, you'll also know that that follows on from the Laura Wade Gary review into NHS technology services that was due to be handed down last year. Now, the final report was delayed and hasn't yet been published, but we did manage to get hold of a copy at Digital Health and it recommended the creation of a new transformation task force. So it's not entirely different to the plans that have been put on the table now. So that's the main news in a nutshell, although that's a rather large nutshell, which leads me on to our guests. We have some very knowledgeable members of the Digital Health Advisory Panel with us today who are going to be able to talk to us about whether or not this is the right direction for the NHS to be taking. Joining us, we have Anne-Marie Cunningham, who is part of our CCIO advisory panel. We have Adrian Byrne, who is the chair of our Digital Health CIO network. James Reed, who is the chair of our Digital Health CCIO network. And John Hoeksma, who is, of course, our editor-in-chief here at Digital Health. So thank you so much for joining us today. I can't imagine that we're going to be short of things to discuss, so let's get right into it. As I previously just mentioned, all of these plans are aiming to deliver a more joined up health and care system with digital transformation being a really key part of that. So the million dollar question I'm going to put to you first is, will this work? Um, Aid, what do you think? Uh, Well, um, people might not know me as uh, an optimist, uh, Andrea, but, uh, you know, (laughs) um, I think that uh, we have to greet things with an open mind, don't we? the concept of uh, joined up is not a new one, is it? Uh, I, I think we've been talking about silos for a long time. Um, certainly, a lot of us wonder why there is a division between health and social care um, and why we find it difficult to move things around in the health system historically. Um, but also, I think uh, a lot of us will have been through a lot of reorganisations that have claimed to do things along the lines of this. Yeah, I think um, I completely agree, Aidan. I think, as you say, one has to be optimistic, really, doesn't one? Otherwise, you know, there's no hope for anything. So I'm, I, I feel that it's got to be, I mean, game of the side is obviously a good thing. I suppose in some respects, I was always a bit mystified by the creation of Sydney of NHSX in the first place because it appeared to be setting up, you know, it's setting up another place where things happen, where, you know, it wasn't altogether clear why that was needed. So 
if we're bringing things together rather than splitting them up, I feel that's a good idea. But at the same time, there's the sort of reorganisation fatigue that I think we've, we've all experienced. Um, and, you know, inevitably there'll be a period where it's hard to get things done whilst one waits for the, the, the you know, the chips to, to settle down into whatever the new format is. So I think I'd, I'd, I'd give it a cautious welcome. But as always, I'm interested in the results. So um, I'm based in Wales, so this is kind of like a bit of an outsider's view. Um, we're going through our own reorganisation in Wales with like my organisation, NHS Wales Informatics Service, is becoming Digital Health and Care Wales, a statutory body with statutory sort of responsibilities. Um, but we've kind of had it a bit easier for you, than you in England for about the last 10 years. Things have been pretty stable. We formed kind of like the equivalent of an ICS um, that the health boards have commission, have a, a responsibility for doing primary care, secondary care, um, also to joined up, only seven of them in Wales, some of them, you know, between about 750,000 population down to Little Paris, less than 300,000. But, um, and, and they've been there and, and, and going. And then we've got our organisation doing actually digital delivery and actually de developing software, managing procurements, trying to get products and things sort of set up and, and a linking um, for, as part of the NHS with, uh, with the health boards. And in a way, I suppose our organisation's done well in the last year. From you know, we I think we we've, we've done well with COVID. We got things done. We built a system for like test trace and protect. We built our own immunisation systems for COVID vaccinations. And in the same way, um, the organisations like us, like across the UK, have done pretty well. They're actually doing delivery. Uh, and it's just digital's reputation. I think has gone really up in actually getting things done, making decisions quickly, getting products out through the door. Um, in Scotland, the new organisation up there, um, there has has been able to do things. Over in Northern Ireland, Dan West and his team have been able to get things done and out sort of through the door. So organisations that are part of the NHS doing digital delivery have been doing pretty well. And I guess looking back, there was a bit of the uncertainty about some of the things that NHSX had been doing with apps and whatever and where that went and what actually sort of come out. So certainly at the start of the pandemic, it was not so clear in some ways, what NHSX, where their role, um, strategic, was actually so um, essential or helpful uh, to this. And I suppose in that way of like thinking, you know, why is it? Why is it like that? Like, I'm an outsider. I'd be interested to know what, what you think about that. But if that's the way it was at the time of the pandemic, whenever this was a really crucial time that stressed everybody, you know, stressed all the systems, and your organisation wasn't so clear on what it was actually kind of bringing in some ways to the table. Not really surprising that people actually think if we're reorganising now, do we actually want to do this in a different way? And maybe kind of, um, and I think the interesting thing still was always that we had this tension, like what's the relationship between NHS X and NHS Digital? What's the relationship going to be between this new kind of body and whatever? So some of the things that are ambiguities and uncertainties might still kind of be around. Yeah, kind of like the pandemic has made us a bit more reflective of how we're delivering services, I guess. Um, John, I can see that your hand has been up with something to say for a while. Um, yeah, I think t taking the integrated care systems and the white paper, first of all, um, then I think a lot of people welcome it. Um, it's, um, you know, it's been direction of travel and policy for a long time. But it's difficult to ignore the fact that it's in many ways um, rectifying the horrible mess that we wound up with um, from the Lansley reforms of 10 years ago 
under what is still the same Conservative government. So that's um, worth kind of remembering, lest we forget. Um, I also would say that on, on the integrated care piece, we've seen a number of major initiatives um, about joining up health and social care over the last 10 years. You know, one of the most high, high profile being Devo Mank. Um, it is hard. It is really, really hard. Devo Mank basically kind of um, crashed and burned and um, they've had to go away and kind of, um, um, you know, try and regroup. So I think the legislation and the organisations and the structures are important, but the real work is done on the ground at the very local level. And I think that will be where the integration of health and social care really gets kind of proved out or not. Um, on, on NHSX, um, you know what, I've got completely kind of mixed views on it. I mean, there's a bit of me that thinks that they're unlucky. They've barely been going um, any time and then um, COVID-19 came along. Um, but I mean, also, they've been a bit slow out of the blocks in terms of kind of delivering on their missions. I think they took quite a long time to get going and then they had some bad luck. Um, are we going to get some better outcome by some new transformation directorate? You know, I, I, I'm a bit sceptical that moving the proverbial furniture on the deck around is the solution, but it's uh, often seen as an answer to a problem. Um Age, you've sort of touched on this in your earlier points um, when you were mentioning that this isn't the first time we've seen a new drive for like a restructure or digital transformation in the NHS. Um, I think those who have been in the industry for years have probably seen countless attempts to really embed digital and technology in the health service. Um, so what sets this apart? Is there anything in here that's different that makes you think, oh, yeah, that's that's going to work this time? Uh, well, as I said earlier, really, that's, that's the question mark, isn't it? Um, I think that we forget that the changes that are made in our system are made by people, aren't they? And as um, both Anne-Marie and John said earlier, um, there have been lots of good things uh, going on in the system. Shared record programmes, for example, uh, we're part of one of the oldest shared care record programmes in the country. You may know it used to be called the Hampshire Health Record. Um, also a very large imaging sharing consortium. Those things were landed by people who, frankly, just wanted them to happen. So, so they happened. And I think that um, the, these are the things that, that really drive things forward when you have, mostly when you get clinicians behind your programme and everyone's rowing in the same direction. That's what makes things happen. Now, is it different? Um, it could be different, um, but, you know, I've seen some things recently that have, uh, that have worried me a bit, honestly. Um, I've seen money thrown at individual programmes, treating them like silos. Um, so on the one hand, we talk about losing silos, and on the other hand, we'll throw money at a problem and think if we throw a bit of money at that vertical issue, it will go away. Well, it doesn't work like that. Um, you have to go and look at what the problem is and ascertain what the best solution for that is. Not just play whack-a-mole with things, um, which is a tendency that I have seen. So it's worrying. I'm just going back a bit. I think um, in terms of what's happening with NHSX and everything, I, I was talking to someone the other day about the concept of who's, who's had a good COVID, you know, who's had a good war kind of thing. 
Um, and it does appear that perhaps contrary to expectations, NHS Digital seems to have had a pretty good COVID, a bit like Anne-Marie was saying, um, and NHSX less so. And so it may be to some degree they've just fallen fallen victim to that um, because it is inevitably how we view things over the next probably couple of years are going to be heavily influenced by all that we've just you know, all we're continuing to see um, um, there have been some quite high profile examples uh, of things going wrong and, and those, those do cast a bit of a long shadow unfortunately um, I mean on the ICS thing I suppose one one thing I think is different is is the is the availability of technology I suppose particularly on like Abe was saying about shared care records I mean I know they're, they're not a new idea and it's been there in Hampshire for a long time in most parts of the country anyway they haven't been a reality really up until and yet now all of a sudden they are and it's it's always i think there have been abortive attempts in in my area in the past to do you know some kind of cross organization or cross economy pathways and they've always failed because because of simple stuff like record keeping like you know you you know if, if you can't see the hospital record in the gp or vice versa it's almost impossible to to maintain a, a, a pathway of care and so all of a sudden we have got the enabling technology in most areas it's either in place or coming soon um, and if the new ICSs are willing to to embrace those and it's going to be hard work it's going to mean basically telling the all the providers to let go a bit and say okay you know you're not going to have let's say it's a, you know, a diabetes pathway you're going to have to start making the definitive source for this information the shared care record rather than your system or that system or the other system and that's going to be hard for organizations to do but if they're willing to let go, if you like, and trust one another, then we've got a real opportunity to do something good. And and that that is a potential. It might you know, we could miss the opportunity, but the opportunity is there in a way I don't think it was before. Just uh, thinking back about the um, c- coming back to you know your 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 point, uh, James, about being able to you know maybe use a different system to what you're doing this is just one of the things we were reflecting on today was um that we've you know we've asked everybody in wales to use the one system say for recording covid vaccinations everybody uses the gp separate contract for them they put it directly in there and our responsibility is to get it back and write it back into the gp record um leads me as well into that thing about interoperability and god it is hard isn't it here is something where we've said this is our one you know focus is getting getting these results everywhere in the UK. So getting the result from a from a vaccination into a GP record is a priority. But still, um, System 1 got up and had a really good game on this, got it done, had a fire specification, was doing the job. Emus got a, a version with a CSV file going a few um, in, in January and now have got, gone up to the fire message. Vision, one of our big suppliers, um, still, you know, we're working with them very, very closely, not quite there yet. Um so that shows you that when everybody's focused on the one name and it's simple and you've got the specification, you still kind of can't manage to do it. And I think that's going to be the big challenge for us is if we're doing this, how do we get used to using these different systems? What is a, what is a realistic expectation about interoperability? Why are you trying to achieve it? What is your aim actually in even trying to get information from one system to another? Or do you get used? And, and, and do you then, and I know that's it, I'm picking the simplest use case just about knowing that somebody's had a vaccination. But whenever it gets into that whole, that whole thing about trying to have a like a diabetes pathway of care going from all across different sectors, 
Uh, and we, you know, things get thrown away like as if they kind of solve the problem of interoperability. We'll have a platform. We'll keep the data separate to the application. We'll move to, you know, doing this. All of that is like as if you're talking about starting Greenfield as if you didn't have anything and you're designing everything from scratch up with all of this sort of stuff. That's not the situation we're in. So is it going to be that you really do have some massive kind of hoovering up across a patch of everybody moving to the same system and actually using, you know, interoperability by monolith uh, that it's across? But you're never going to get that because... So I, it's really interesting thinking, what what will this really look like? Is it just about... And I've had these discussions with you and the, and the things... Are we just, is it only just to be able to read a record or do you want to be able to communicate? Do you want to have task passing back and forth? We could go on about this, but I think all that stuff of just getting around and having that language and understand what we're trying to achieve is the, is the same kind of challenge that we, we've all ever had. The, the other thing, just to sort of say in relation to that, it's Jonathan Kay is also in the, the panel and the Faculty of Clinical Informatics. I mean, like, heard him saying last week, you know, in a way, the biggest thing to get... the biggest obstacle to getting things done is knowing who's actually responsible and um, in a way that's been the other thing that's really opened up stuff during COVID because with new governance sort of places structures put in you knew who could tell you that you could do something you either you know as Sarah Wilkinson was saying last year to a certain extent people were given more responsibility to get on and do it and you also had a bit of support and clear governance that this this was how you got things done that's how you got it approved for all of this we need to, and I, it's like so boring to say that the governance is stuff you have to sort out, but knowing who's actually going to be in charge and make the decisions and help be able to say that that's what we need to change and that's how we do it. And I'm telling everybody that's the way we're doing it. Being able to get that kind of level of certainty is what's actually going to help us to deliver. Andrew, just, just to pick up on a couple of those themes um, that Anne-Marie was talking about, I, I just wanted if I could just turn it as a as a question. So... In England, you've got NHSX being changed, a new kind of um, transformation directory. I, I wonder what, what the kind of um, what the kind of folks on this podcast think a central body can most usefully do. Well, what, what's what's the thing they should do, and what shouldn't they do? So, arguably, I agree with Anne Marie. One of the most important things that at the beginning of the current crisis was NHSX giving a very clear message that it's okay to share get on and do it, don't worry about the IG too much. I think that was a very strong message that was very timely. Um, and sometimes I think doing less is more, but you know, I might be in a minority view on that. Okay, so James, what, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I'm inclined to agree. I think, I mean, what we've learned, haven't we, is that the, the top-down control like that tends not to work and tends to be stifling you know um and when we've seen a bit like andrew was saying when we've seen stuff happen it's been because people have felt empowered and able to do it um and i think the, the best thing that the you know from the center is to do that is to allow us to to do the right pragmatic thing where we are but i suppose they give us support on the things that we find more difficult i mean you know the, the, the big conversations with suppliers for example around you know difficult commercial issues and that sort of thing it's harder to do as a, I mean, we've had a, an example just recently with a particular supplier where it's it's a hard thing on a local level to deal with, but maybe at a national level they can bang on the table and say, "All right, guys, this is this is going to be right for the the service as a whole." Um, I think that that's probably the best thing is let us do what we can do and give us the freedom and 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 license to do it, but be willing to help us with the things that we can't do as well. Um, 
so that and i think you know what we've seen is you know is that when you give people agency and let them get on and do stuff they're actually quite good at getting on and doing it um and when and it's this sort of the dead hand of central control comes in that it everything grinds to a halt you're in a sunny disposition today aid what, what's the um what's the key thing the center can do <laughs> maybe it's the fact i'm on holiday this week um but um I think James is right um, that um, you know people have have done things, and the, that cold, dead hand there that stops them from doing things is, is one of the key things that they can take away. Uh, so I think it, people tend not to do things if they perceive barriers, don't they? So that information governance uh, one is is a good example. Um, managing the market. Um, James mentioned suppliers. I think there's there's a lot of work that can be done there actually. Um, procurement. It's quite hard if across an ICS you all decide that you want to do the same thing. Try and square that away. Uh, if if you're trying to then uh, say, oh, okay, well those guys down the road, that hospital down the road, that health system down the road are using this system. We all want to do the same thing, so so we'll do it as well. You then run up against procurement barriers. So, um, how do we smooth the path for for this so that people can? Because actually, I think, despite what James said earlier about you know we've had the ability to do these things, some people did it, some people didn't. Generally, I, I find quite a, a high level of willingness to do things and work together. Um, Put barriers in the way and they'll stop. So take the barriers out of the way to, to, to allow some of these projects to, uh, to succeed and, and, and fund success. Um, they can probably um, direct some things but encourage other things. And I think funding is a great way of encouraging things. If you're doing the right thing, you get funded for it. If, if you don't then you you're swimming against the tide so there's always levers and and tools that they can use to get us to do the right things i think in the past they haven't been used very effectively so we should learn lessons whether we will as i say that's that's that remains a question i did want to talk to you guys a little bit about leadership um because obviously you are all um successful digital health leaders and a big part of our networks um so really i want to talk about how networks such as the digital health networks um, have a role to play in driving this digital transformation like program. James, we've kind of talked about this previously um, when the white paper first came out and you mentioned that this provides like a really good opportunity for digital leaders like yourselves to get involved. Um, could you maybe touch on that a little bit more again for our listeners that may not have had a chance to read that story? Sure. Um, yeah, I think it was particularly again the, the whole concept of, of building these ICSs again offers an opportunity for system-wide leadership of all kinds and so obviously I'm going to say I think it's an opportunity for clinical digital leaders to get involved and to provide a real a real voice here and some real guidance because you know we uh if we're gonna make the most make the best use of the technology we've got available um we've got to be able to marry up the real life clinical use cases and problems that we see with the, with the stuff that's available there to meet the need and solve the problems. 
Um, so you know, it remains to be seen, doesn't it, about whether ICSs are going to start appointing, you know, CCIOs or equivalent type roles. I mean, we, we don't know. I think there are one or two around the country, but that's a sort of uncharted waters. And again, if, if that's going to happen, what we're going with the hope, and I think what we would be lobbying for would be that rather than these being ceremonial titles given to people who've got other work to do, these are actual proper roles that are funded and invested in to give people time to look at a health system as a whole. I think, you know, the kind of, if you like, we've all, most of us have been in this kind of work have been, you know, you could say have been sort of serving our apprenticeships in our own organisation, but have probably learned enough about how, you know, a single provider works to be able to take some of that experience and apply it to multi-providers in a, you know, in a, in a broader area. So that's something I'd really like to see. Um, but I suppose it's too early at the moment to know whether that's to whether that's going to happen, or even if that's going to be something that's going to be explicitly stated or supported. You know, we, we, we're all familiar with the long-term plan aims of CIOs and CIOs on boards that we've talked about before. But will there be similar commitment to involving digital leaders in in, their, in ICSs? Uh, we'll have to see. Aid, what do you think? Well. Um... I, I think that digital leaders have got a, a large part to play in it, obviously. Um, you can't see too much change in the health system without it involving uh, involving digital, having a huge impact on digital, and digital having a huge impact on everything else. So um, we've got to line things up. Um, I think that you know we, we will have to revise strategies, won't we? Um, so traditionally... Every organization within an ICS will have their own digital strategy. Um, they will have some cognizance of what's going on around them, but primarily they're focused at success of their own organization and how it deals with patients and getting better outcomes for, for their patients, but only within that context. So we're now talking about something different, a new dynamic. Um, looking at, at Hampshire, we've been... Um, devising and developing a, a clinical strategy that looks more at how patients travel across the whole system, potentially having parts of activity, parts of a single episode of care happening in different organisations that wouldn't typically happen in the past. So um, I think that digital leaders have to be cognizant of that. They have to change the way that they've developed strategies in the past, really. Um and then, of course, we have to think about how funding supports that. Well, we are very quickly running out of time, unfortunately, but I'm sure that the powers that be will be listening to this podcast intently and will be taking all of your advice and tips on board. Anne-Marie, James, Aid, and John, it's been an excellent discussion. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Digital Health Unplugged. And of course, to all of our listeners, thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget, we publish fortnightly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and iTunes and also all the usual podcast channels. So please do give us a follow on any of those to keep up to date with what we're doing. And if you've got a podcast suggestion, we're always really keen to hear from you. You can drop us a line on podcast at digitalhealth.net. That's it for this episode. We'll catch you in two weeks time. You've been listening to Digital Health Unplugged. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more episodes or to keep up to date with what Digital Health Unplugged is doing, you can give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast channel. If you want to know more about Digital Health, our news and events, you can head on over to digitalhealth.net.